0: When it comes to an ultra and you're out there for potentially, you know, missing multiple meals, like you're out there for a whole day, if not two, the mental game becomes really, really important. Know your why. Make sure that you are signing up for a race for your reasons, not for somebody else's reasons.
1: That was Kim Seneschal, and this is episode two of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a road runner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner.
0: Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life.
1: Today, I'm talking with Kim Seneschal, my Inspired Souls co-host, who is an avid trail runner with a lifetime of running experience. In 2014, she made the leap to ultra running and since then has competed in several ultra marathons from 50k to 100 miles, many of which we discuss in this episode. A registered physiotherapist with 20 years of clinical experience, Kim manages Pan Am Rehabilitation Services and is the director of the Running and Gait Center at Pan Am Clinic in Winnipeg, Manitoba, where she gets to combine her passions of healing and running. On top of this, she is also a run coach, a writer, and a mother of two boys. I'm really excited for us to get to know Kim even better. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Kim Senechel. Hi, Kim. Welcome to our podcast. It's great to have you. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you. I'm actually super excited for this interview because the listeners may not know this, but We actually don't know each other all that well, which is fodder for an entire other podcast sometime, which we will do, but we don't really know each other that well. So I would love for you to start by just kind of giving us the, I don't know, three to five minute backstory about your running life like your entry into running particularly trail and ultra running because I know that's a big love of yours so just when when did you start running how did you get interested in the sport and when did you find ultra running
0: for sure well asking me to talk for only three to five minutes on why I love running and everything is going to be a challenge but I guess we have a whole podcast to get into that. So, um, how did I get into running? Well, I grew up on a farm in the middle of Alberta where there was lots of wide open space. And honestly, I can say. I have loved to run my entire life. I would just run like crazy all over that farm. And I started out running without any purpose other than to get from point A to point B because I'm naturally an impatient person and running was just faster. (laughs) Um, I did do some track and field in middle school um, in a small country school. And really, though, wasn't competitive in running in high school at all. Um, Carolyn, this is interesting because you won't believe that I actually did gymnastics in high school as well. Get out! However, <laughs> yes, but it was more acrobatic style. Um, I, I like to compare it to, you know, very, very minor league Cirque du Soleil style. So definitely not that good. But we did human pyramid building and a lot of different um, Uh, acrobatic maneuvers and so that was my focus in high school um and I really throughout university and physiotherapy school didn't run consistently either other than just for run breaks but where I really got into running was when I moved to Vancouver Island uh many 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 years ago <laughs> right out of university and believe it or not uh my initial experience into endurance running and distance running wasn't for that good of a reason um i got married very very young and was divorced by the age of 23 and i decided after that divorce that i was gonna run a marathon and i had never even ran a competitive 5k haven't even ran a competitive 10K. And I just up and said, I'm running a marathon. So, this already gives you a hint as to my personality type. <laughs> and so, I did. I trained for my first road marathon, which was the edge to edge marathon from Euclid to Tofino um, along the west coast of Vancouver Island. And to this day, that is the one and only road marathon I've ever ran.
1: <laughs> That's a beautiful it's, one uh, to do, I would imagine. Uh,
0: it is. It was absolutely gorgeous. At that point, it didn't go out onto the beach, though. It was 100% on the road. We didn't get that many glimpses of the ocean. And although I thought I chose a good first marathon because it was so flat, it was actually probably the wrong thing to do because it was so flat. Mm-hmm. So your uh, my knees really took a beating from always hitting the ground in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And it was quite a painful experience. So um, that kind of um led me after that to move into trails and I just said I'm done with roads I had a friend introduce me to trail running and so I did a lot of short um hard trail runs on the island Went did the gut buster race series which just by the name tells you uh <laughs> that it was uh running up and down mountains as hard as you could um and then how you know you asked how I got into ultra running well Really, it was over 10 years, about 10 years of trail running and just road half marathons when a friend of mine, Sarah Seeds, um, got a group together to do the Xterra Half Marathon It was actually the world championship in Hawaii in November, 2013. And we say world championship, although you didn't have to be a world champion to go. You just had to pay money to get in. So we went and did that on the island of Oahu. And that was really where I started to go. Wow. Like I love running trails and I love running longer in trails. How long was that race? That was a half marathon. That was just 13.1 miles. Um, But I was already trained for, you know, 2 to 3 hours on the trails at that point. So then Sarah kind of said, "Well, hey Kim, you're already doing it. Why don't we go for 50k next spring?" And I had been tempted by the ultra thing for quite a while, primarily by her. She had done the Canadian Death Race, I believe it was the year before, maybe a few years before. And I never honestly thought I could, but she convinced me to give it a go and the rest was history. Two thousand fourteen, I ran my first ultra, and I've never looked back.
1: Wow! So there's so much in there <laughs> that I could, uh, so many threads that I could there is. pull <laughs> on. So just backing up, like you, you did some road racing. What, what was approximately the year of your divorce? In um, two thousand
0: and three. Okay, so, so between the edge to edge was in two thousand
1: four. Yeah. Okay, so between 2004 yeah. and 2013, you were running mm-hmm. roads? Is that...
0: I run... Road and just for up to half marathon distance but really most of my training was on the trails I ran in the trails all around the Comox Valley that's where I really enjoyed running the most yeah because yeah. they're
1: gorgeous and how could you not yeah. fall in love with oh, trail yeah. running when you live Absolutely. in such a beautiful place <laughs> so for sure but it was, I just
0: wanted to explore more and more and more yeah. and so we just kept going further and further and further into the forest and and it just was a natural progression.
1: Yeah. And what was it about, because you, you'd had this experience in the um, U- 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 Q- L- it to, to Fino race, like that marathon, that road marathon, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you had your first experience um, at the Xterra one, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. was trail, right? Yes. So compare and contrast those two for me in terms of your the experience what what led you to say I am a trail runner after that Xterra race
0: oh that's a really good question I think you know the the difference is how I felt after the race so after the edge to edge I was wrecked I cried as I crossed the finish line. It was a very cathartic experience too. I mean, there was a lot going on in my personal life at that point, but my body just was trashed for, for weeks after, um, barely make it down the stairs where now that said, I really didn't follow the most logical progression to the marathon, <laughs> you know, so, uh, lessons learned, but then after Xterra, oh my goodness, I was on a high, we were beaming, we we're high-fiving, um, I mean, I ran the rest of the week on the island, and that really was an eye opener to me about how um, trail running is hard. Like the effort level is the same, if not more, as a road marathon. But yet, my body handled it so much better, mm-hmm. and it was it was much more of a positive experience for me. Not to mention beautiful. I mean, the pictures. Yes, I did pause to take pictures. I always do on some of my best trail runs. I just felt that home I was like this this is what I want more of this and so uh yeah Yeah. I'm now an ultra marathon runner who's done a couple hundred miles well yeah (laughs) and
1: let's let's kind of get into that following the timeline a little bit so you had this introduction into trail running so you did your the half marathon and then you did the 50k right and then kind of take us through some of the races that you've done since then
0: um so I ran, uh, my first 50 K was the uh, Sun Mountain 50 K in Winthrop, Washington. Um, and, and that was just amazing. That was in May of 2014. And then I did the Squamish 50 that August, um, of that year. And, the next year, <laughs> um, I did my first hundred k, which you know I learned a few lessons during that race. That was my first uh, race, for one and only race that I did not finish, got a DNF in, and that was in um, me- at Miwok in near San Francisco. Learned a lot during that race. Um, let me think, and then I've done some fifty milers. I did the um, Grand Canyon. Uh, north rim um, 50 mile race on the north rim uh, uh one year and that that was in may of 2016 and then that fall or no august i did the fat dog 70 miler um in manning park bc and that was an amazing race i had a really good run there Uh, I was tempted to, to do a hundred, but wasn't quite ready to make the jump. So that 70 mile distance was, was something that really gave me a lot of confidence. I ran a really good solid race and had my best placing ever. I placed fourth female in that race and I was pretty proud of that one, especially because at that point I had moved to Manitoba and was training for these mountain races in a very, very flat place. So that was a challenge. And then um, 2017 was my first 100 miler. I did the Zion 100 um, in Utah. Um, and there's, there's been other races in the middle of there. Canadian Death Race was the next year. I tend to do one big race a year just because training life jobs, logistics, cost kind of prohibits me from doing too many of them, not to mention recovery time. I like to allow my body enough time to recover after these long races. And then my most recent big race was the Tahoe Rim Endurance Run 100 miler last summer in uh, in uh, Nevada. And that was uh, just, just an Epic, epic experience. I can't say enough about that race. It was incredibly beautiful, incredibly hard, incredibly hot, incredibly high. It was just uh, too much of everything, but it was absolutely amazing. So that's kind of a summary. I've kind of gone from 50 Ks to 50 milers to 70 milers and 100 Ks to a
1: couple hundred milers. So Okay, so who knows? Bef- who knows what'll come next? Yeah, I was going to say before <laughs> I ask you, like, what is after a hundred miles? Um, oh. What I would want to know from from like, it's always amazing when you finish a race, and it was amazing, and it was beautiful, and you conquered your fears, and you, you know, you got what you came there for, and everything. Like those are always wonderful and beautiful, and we we chase those, don't we? But mm-hmm. I personally find that I learn the most about myself when things don't go according to plan so I'd love for you to expand on that what, what did you use it was me me or me walk yeah.
0: yeah could you
1: expand on that race because that was the 100k um that you d- that was 100k yeah
0: yes okay so that race okay so you know There's certain things that you would recommend that other people do. And then there's certain things that you do. (laughs) (laughs) And in in running period, but also in ultra running more than anything else, it's really, really important to give your body a chance to adapt to um, mileage, time to adapt to stress, and also just to learn more than anything else um the mental game and how you feel at certain points in the race and how to cope with that and how to keep going how to fuel properly how to deal with blisters how to deal with you know chafing all of those things that can make or break your game that really don't have a lot to do with actually running and so when it comes to an ultra and you're out there for potentially you know missing multiple meals, like you're out there for a whole day if not two, the mental game becomes really, really important. And I'd signed up for that race primarily because my friend Sarah really wanted to do it. It was a qualifier for Western States Hundred. She was already in the Western States circus <laughs> of qualifying. And I uh d- we had made a pact that we would run one big race a year together somewhere as kind of a girl's trip and so i signed up with her well in i had a really good start to my race i um was running quite strong i was feeling well uh but later on in the race at the 80 kilometer mark so we're talking just about done like at the 80 kilometer mark we were coming through um, this beautiful, giant old redwood forest, and it was hot, it was super hot for you know a Canadian runner in may, and my gut started to go really, really bad um, and I had massive g i upset, which is the reality for a lot of ultra runners, and not even even half marathon and marathon runners will experience that um But for some reason, it really messed with my head. I was, I'd been pushing quite hard. I was making really good time. But they had been warning us all through the race that, (laughs) that you are in a park and you are to do your business in proper aid station areas in Puerto Havarys and you were never to step off the trail for any reason. And I had this in my head and we're running through, we're talking probably a six to eight mile stretch between these two aid stations and deep into the forest and when your gut's going and you're thinking I still have potentially you know when you're running up a mountain it can be hour you know an hour or more to get to the next aid station it was really stressing me out so needless to say, my my headspace was not good when I finally made it to the 80-kilometer aid station and I dropped. I figured I was done. I was like, there's no way I can keep going. I My gut's a mess. I had just come down a huge mountain and knew I would have to turn around and run right back up that same mountain mm-hmm. to get back to the finish line. And sometimes ignorance is a bliss. Knowing, <laughs> knowing what you just came through and having to go back was not a good thing. And so I dropped. Well... It didn't take 10 minutes before my gut settled and I, pr- I could have kept going, but I was done. So I learned during that race two, two things. The simplest was that nothing lasts forever. If you just stop re- regroup, um, in an ultra, luckily you have the luxury of that kind of time. You know, every second doesn't count spending five minutes, settling your gut can save you an hour mm-hmm. at the end of the race um, is it's really, you know, important just to take a moment to regroup and, uh, see how you can move on. Um, and that has served me well, really well (laughs) in, in races since. But the other thing I learned during that race is know your why Mm. make sure that you are signing up for a race for your reasons, not for somebody else's reasons. So I truly feel like that race, I kind of signed up for somebody else's wise and not that I didn't want to do it but my reasons weren't big enough mm. to keep me going you know like I, I wrote a blog post a few years ago that said is your why bigger than your blister <laughs> you know at a certain point your why has to be bigger than anything it has to be bigger than puking it has to be bigger than a blister it has to be bigger than I'm tired yeah right? exactly and yeah. and so since then I've made sure to choose races particularly big races that i really 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 want to do for reasons like not just one reason but like 10 reasons so that when you reach those dark holes you can pull on that and go
1: you know this is why i'm here this is what you came for Mm -hmm. keep going Right, I love this so. so much because I think it is really easy to get swept into someone else's why, as you put it, and just be going with the flow. Or yeah, I'll do this race because so and so is doing this race. But in it, I would imagine in an ultra in particular that that's not big enough to pull you through some no. of the the lows that you're going to inevitably experience over you know a hundred miles or a hundred kilometers or what have you. And so, Absolutely. could you? like I, I i do this with all of my clients too like what's your why like because there are going to be those days where you don't feel like doing the thing right mm-hmm. uh, you don't feel like doing the training you don't feel like eating that healthy meal you don't feel like going to bed on time <laughs> you know but it, it is that bigger why so do you have a process for uncovering cuz i think that can sound like a Um, kind of intangible thing to some people? Like, oh yeah, my why, I should have a big why. But do you have a process for actually pulling your why out of yourself?
0: You know what? I do. I do. In, In the fall of every year, usually around October, around Thanksgiving... Um, I really start to set my goals for the next year because in the ultra marathon community, you have to enter lotteries for many of the races that you want to do. And those lotteries are typically in December, December and January. So planning your year is really important and which lotteries you're going to get into or try to get into. So I actually physically write down um, my, my goals and the things That I want to accomplish in my running for the next year, because my why has changed over time, Um, and you know, seasonally. You know, I also have a five-year plan in my head, so I'm not going to push hard every single year. So I write down things like, you know, you know, the obvious, like I want to get into Western States or I want to get into UTMB, but then also I want to see big mountains. I want to summit big mountains this year, or I want to run with my friend. Or I want to go to a place that I've never been before. Um, And then I look at all of those different things and go, how can I honor all of these whys? It needs to be a race that takes me to the mountains. that I can plan with a friend that is a qualifier for these races that maybe also provides me a chance to see a place I've never seen before. So then I, I look at all my races and I go, what fits with all of these whys? And usually something stands out. It's like that that's what happened with Tahoe as soon as I saw that race I knew it I just was like I need to be at that place Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. it ended up being an amazing experience because I got every single thing that I wanted out of that race
1: that's amazing and it sounds like like you're so intentional like to to reflect every fall on the the year prior and then look ahead to the next year and and plan. So it's not like you're just accidentally running a hundred mile race. This is intentional. I want this. I want this for these reasons. Here's what I'm going to have to do to prepare. Like it sounds like just a beautiful metaphor for how to live a great life, honestly. Um, well, it doesn't always work out perfectly, but
0: it is true that, you know, the race for me is the reward. Like, the training is intentional. It does not happen by accident. Mm. <laughs> you don't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to run 100 miles. Like, the d- even getting to the start line is a huge deal. You know, getting there uninjured, getting there properly trained. And so you do have to, um, the why for the race, like you just said, isn't even the biggest thing. It's the why that gets you out of bed at three thirty in the morning to get that run in before your kids wake up. Mm-hmm. Or it's the why that keeps you going when it's raining sideways and <laughs> minus 40 and, degrees <laughs> and minus 40 degrees. Exactly. So, uh, you have to have a, you have to have some deep, deep things to keep you going on those days. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, I've heard, you've probably heard a variation of this, before too, but if you want to run, if you want to run, run a mile, if you want to experience a different life, run a marathon. And if you want to talk to God, run an ultra. (laughs) And I just would love for you to speak to that. I I don't know. Have you heard that before? And is it true?
0: (laughs) It's more than true for sure. Um, I've, you know, when it comes to ultra running, it is 90% mental for sure the human body can keep going as long as the mind tells it to and you reach places in your head that you would never get for me anywhere else I mean I don't do drugs but I would assume maybe (laughs) maybe (laughs) on some kind of drugs you are you're high on your own endorphins and your own hormones but um the The amount of personal growth, self-awareness, self-discovery, um, deep states of flow that I have encountered when I've been running, particularly after about hour 14 in an ultra is, yeah, you, you definitely discover things about yourself that I don't think I would have discovered any other way,
1: for sure. You spoke a little bit about, uh, you know, you had maybe a little bit of intuition that you shouldn't have run That first hundred kilometer race, I think you said, but I was just curious, Mm -hmm. given your background as a physiotherapist and given your background as a coach as well, I was wondering if there was any advice that you find easier to give as like with your physiotherapy or your coach hat on than it is to actually practice as an athlete.
0: There's a lot of advice that's easier to give than to practice. But I think one of the, let's get, you know, maybe less deep and heavy and just keep it simple, sleep. Mm -hmm. I advise my athletes that there's no better recovery tool than sleep. And it's so true. You can use all the gimmicks you want from compression socks to, you know, different electrolyte drinks and things. But if you just sleep It's huge, but I struggle with that myself personally. I mean, I'm a really busy person, so getting enough sleep is hard.
1: It's so true. Like people want to be able to hack their way into some of these recovery things or buy their way into it somehow, but you're right. It's, it's that solid night of sleep. That's going to be your biggest, you know, two weapon in the toolbox, so to speak. And, um, so as a busy person like you you have a full life um you're a mother or a um physiotherapist you work a lot you're giving back and you're training for these races like how do you find the time to to sleep and i know you said you, you said that sometimes it is hard and sometimes it, you do have to compromise it but i know that you do a fairly good job most of the time getting that in and so for somebody listening that's like, but how, how, how do I do it all? Uh, do you have any advice?
0: Um, well, I think the advice, the best advice I can give is you never have time, you make time. Mm-hmm. You just have to schedule it just like everything else in your day. So for me, I mean, my kids are getting older now, so it's a little easier for me to to run a little bit later in the morning, but pretty much for my entire particularly ultra running career. Um, I've had to get up really, really early to get my runs in, particularly the long weekend runs, which can mean getting up as early as three thirty, but typically five, four thirty-five. Oh my which gosh! Which means I need to be in, <laughs> yeah. Which means I need to be in bed on a Friday night and a Saturday night by nine, nine thirty. And I mean that's early, mm-hmm. but it just means scheduling your entire day back so that that can happen, right? Mm-hmm and uh, dinner time happens at five thirty, and you know we're a pretty scheduled family and that's just just the way it has to be
1: I love that you don't have time you make time because it's so true and, and there again it sort of goes back to your why and it goes back to like I said these things were important to me and here's me actually expressing that <laughs> in the world where where I'm not out partying or, or at, you know up late on a Friday night I'm going to bed because it's worth it to me
0: yeah And, you know, people joke about, oh, mommy's going to bed before everybody else. And, you know, she can't go out because she's she's got to sleep because she's got to run. But that's I just do my socializing during my runs or before I have to go to bed. So, yeah, it's my as far back as my kids can remember. Mom has been up super early and done her run before breakfast. And that's just the way it is. It's normal. Yeah.
1: And they get used to that. Right. Your kids are 10 and 13.
0: They're, they're actually 11
1: and 13 now. So um, I have the
0: luxury now of leaving them breakfast and, and they can get up and feed themselves. But uh, I still like to spend time with them, of course. Yes. So I still get up early and get my runs done before the majority of the day. Well,
1: I imagine yeah. if you're up at 3 a.m. for your run, then you're probably not uh, too late getting back in the morning.
0: Well, no, that's not okay let's let's be honest that's not every weekend <laughs> that's when I'm peaking that's when my runs will be you know five six hours long and and now that we live in Manitoba unfortunately I don't have trails right out my back door so I often have to drive to a good trail yeah. so yeah it's it's again it's very very intentional it's not something that you can sleep in till 10 o'clock and decide you're going to go do your run like I have to I have to plan yeah
1: Just switching gears a little bit like I know for I know nutrition becomes a huge factor when you're training for these long races so the training for them and the executing of them I imagine nutrition is is of paramount importance for you so I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that like how you approach your food whether that's changed over the time you've been an ultra runner and then maybe talk us through how you would actually fuel during one of your 100 mile races for example
0: well i um i've experimented my body is always a an experiment of one and i'm always trying to find what works best for me and and uh what helps me to perform the best and i've recently found uh, recently it's been about 2 years now that i've been on a um kind of a Almost an anti-inflammatory diet, but I'm gluten-free, dairy-free, and egg-free. I call myself a vegan who eats meat, which <laughs> true vegans out there would um, cringe at the at the thought of that. But yeah, I've found that works best for me. I I recover quite fast when I've when I eliminated dairy and eggs, particularly, and and gluten for sure. So that's how I eat now. I tend to be, you know, a Whole Foods as best as possible person. Um. And, uh, just try to eat clean, um, for, to fuel. So basically, you know, we talked about on your podcast, how you can either run to eat or eat to run. Mm -hmm. And I would say in the early days, that was me. I, I ran to eat. I ran to reward myself with food. And let's be honest. I still do that (laughs) a large, you know, part of the time after my long runs, but your body will only run as good as you fuel it. It's, it's so true. You can get by with eating junk food and running 5K, 10K, mm-hmm. maybe even half marathon. But if you want to run marathons and up and then properly train and recover properly, um, when you're running high mileage weeks, you have to give your body the fuel that, that it needs in order to accomplish that. So then when it comes to actually running during a race, that has been probably one of my biggest challenges is figuring out my gut. That's my biggest weakness, um, and I think before I eliminated the the gluten, it was even an even bigger problem. Once I eliminated gluten and I wasn't eating gluten and dairy at the egg station ta- aid station tables, um, Tahoe actually went a lot better for me in that department. Um, but I tend to. I start out my race eating a lot more actual whole foods. So ultra runners, um, much different from your typical road, half and full marathon, where it's mainly gels, goos, chews. We tend to need more substantial fuel, Mm -hmm. especially if you're going up mountains at high altitude, you need those calories and you need the slow release, um, carbs, the low glycemic carbs, I ha- I'm not truly fat adapted but I definitely on my long runs do like to do things like coconut co- um bars, avocados, pro bars um let's see rice balls with miso in the middle. Mm-hmm. I love sushi on long runs. Oh, it's the best. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh the the salt from the soy and the the rice it's like the perfect perfect snack. I like mashed potatoes, um, what else? Raisins trail mix. Um, and then later in a race when I'm fine, I'm not digesting things quite as good. I go more to liquid calories or your goose or your chews at that point. But, um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, when you're doing a really, really long race like a 100 miler, it's really whatever appeals to you. You know, you come, if it's super hot, all I want is watermelon. I'll just eat loads of watermelon. Salted watermelon is the best. Just dip that watermelon in a <laughs> pile of salt and it's the perfect thing. Oh my um, and then at nighttime, you know, I find after about 12 hours, and I, I sound like I've done this for, you know, years and years and years, but I've done enough races where I've gone through a full night where when you're coming up to supper time you're genuinely hungry like your belly's growling you've missed breakfast you've missed lunch and that's when I like to have sushi as a snack just to kind of fuel me on so well I would yeah that's the one good thing about ultra running is you can pretty much eat what you want during a race well yeah
1: because I would imagine you're going slow like you're going kind of at your aerobic uh zone one type of thing for the you're not going yeah, so absolutely. fast that, you know, you're going to need the rocket fuel, like the gels and, and all of that. But no. yeah, so you can kind of yeah, slow down enough to eat sushi. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Like I might yeah. start to become an ultra runner just for that because <laughs> we always have sushi <laughs> the night before a race. That's so funny. Yep. So, um, but I, I would imagine that getting enough calories, like getting enough fuel becomes the major stumbling block is that true in in ultra running like you're just expending so many calories every day that i would imagine replenishing those is a big obstacle for a lot of people i think it
0: is for a lot of people i think the harder thing is replenishing with quality calories Mm -hmm. um that's really important you know on a day-to-day basis and then doing it at the right time like eating quickly enough after a run that you're hitting that 30 minute window Mm -hmm. um but during a race. Yes, I would say, you know, ultra runners have a saying that he who eats the most fares the mm-hmm. best. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, over over time if you get in a calorie deficit or your your gut goes bad and you can't f- keep food in, that that'll shut you down faster than anything else. Yep. So, keeping consistent calories in your body, not throwing them up. And I know I keep talking about about um GI upset and throwing up uh with ultra running which makes it doesn't sound that attractive but the reality is that happens Mm -hmm. especially at high altitude so you have to you have to figure out how to handle that for sure
1: does anybody ever ask you if you're crazy (laughs) for ultra running and uh (laughs) if so how do you feel about that question all the (laughs) time
0: Yep. You know, ultra running is becoming more and more well-known and mainstream, but it's still pretty fringe. And yes, I always get asked if I'm crazy. And to be honest, I'm darn proud. Yep. (laughs) Call me crazy. I'd rather be called crazy than boring. Yeah.
1: So sure. Well, I, I really think for the most part, people are down on what they're not up on. Do you know what I mean? People are down, get down on what they don't know anything about. And so if there was one thing that you could, that you wish people would understand better about ultra running, what would that be?
0: You know, I think it would be that it gives more than it takes. People, you know, for running, not just ultra running, but running period, people that don't do it always see the oh you know it it does it ruins your knees or it ruins your heart or you know it's all that running can't be good for you Mm -hmm. um it's time away from your family it's you know isn't it expensive the running shoes cost so much honestly running is one of the most innately human ways one can move right Mm -hmm. we were created to run and it's a gift it's a gift that god or whoever you believe your creator is, has given us. It's not a punishment. (laughs) So I think that is, I guess, yeah, it, I wish people would understand that it's, it's doesn't take away from you. It gives so much more Mm -hmm. than people realize. And that's why I still do it that's why I love it
1: I would fully agree with that and the longest I've ever run is 26.2 miles so (laughs) yeah you don't and you don't even have to run a a whole ultra to find that out but I I fully agree with you it when you're immersed in something that you really love and when you do it properly you can learn to love it right and then you realize that's exactly "Mm -hmm. it "Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. If it's done with an attitude of grace and commitment to longevity, you know, a person can run healthy and
1: strong late into life. And that's when Uh, the people, sorry, I was going to say, and that's when you get that gift, right? Of, wow, this is, I'm getting so much more out of this than I'm actually putting in, even though I'm putting in a lot.
0: 100%. -hmm. Yeah. The people that get injured all the time or hate every minute of running, Um, unfortunately don't have that great of experience, but sometimes, you know, um, the attitude might not be in the right place. Or like I said, that commitment to longevity of being gentle with yourself and, you know, working with your body rather than against your body. Mm -hmm. If you can find that balance in running, it can, it can give you way more than you'd ever, ever imagined Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: And what do you think is blocking people from finding that balance?
0: I think there's way too much FOMO out there, that fear of missing out. I think there is a lot of pressure, judgment that might not even be from other people. It might be judgment and pressure we put on ourselves with this, uh, these perceived expectations of other people. Um, but if you can just stay, you know, one thing that running has taught me for sure 100% with ultra running is to stay true to me, mm. to stay true to myself. Because back to, you know, trying to run with other pre- people's wise or for reasons that aren't intrinsic to you, you're
1: not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. Fully agree. So what advice, let's say someone's listening to this and you've sparked something in them or at least planted a seed of like, hmm, to see what this ultra running thing is all about. What advice do you wish you would have had going into the sport?
0: Well, I was lucky to get some really good advice from some really good people. But uh, I think the advice that I would give somebody looking to get into the sport of running period, but particularly ultra running is start slowly. And I don't mean run slowly necessarily. I mean build your mileage slowly give your body enough time to adapt to that stress that you're um putting on it the physical mechanical stress Mm -hmm. avoid that fomo that fear of missing out and then i think the biggest thing is be careful who you ask advice from so there's a lot of advice out there whether it's on the internet or whether it's in running groups or whether it's from friends who are runners But if you want to do any sport or any activity successfully, look for the people that have been there a long time. The people that haven't necessarily done the biggest, most flashy things, but the people that have been around for years and they will be the ones that will give you the best advice.
1: So who have those people been in your running life? Who has been your biggest inspiration? i you know when you
0: asked me that question as i was preparing for this podcast carolyn this was the one question that i didn't have to think about at all the answer just was like boom and that would definitely be my one of my closest friends sarah seeds Mm -hmm. so she is an amazing human one of the most amazing people that i know she has been my friend for 20 years oh my goodness um, and we met very early when I moved to Vancouver Island. And we I started running with her um, run clinics that she was running through ELM, her run company or her outdoor uh, fitness company on Vancouver Island. And she inspired me to get into Ultra uh, in, in the long run. But more than anything, it wasn't just about running long. Sarah has an attitude of... Uh, complete balance. She taught me to love the trails. She taught me to love nature. She taught me to just love exploring and getting out there and, and uh, just being out in nature as we ran. We would have some incredible long talks. She's uh, a coach and she's has been my coach. So she's taught me a lot about, you know, how to just even, plan plan a season and plan a year so I could go on for hours about how awesome she is but Sarah's definitely one person that I
1: can honestly say I would not be the runner I am right now if it wasn't for her and you two still now that you're in Winnipeg she's still out in Vancouver Island you two still get together you make a point of getting together and running races every year is that right we try I must say last year was the first year that we were not
0: able to meet up pardon me, due to a lot of different life circumstances for both of us, but this year she got into Western States and I was supposed to be there to crew for her. That was actually supposed to be this coming weekend. (laughs) Enter COVID. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you if, you know, I had a lot of big raises on the list for this year, but being there, crewing for her for States, that's, that's a huge bucket list thing for me. So yes, Sarah and I, We kind of made it our, our pact to meet up every year to
1: do a race somewhere. Mm. So if you could turn back the clock and talk to your 18 year old self, that was pre-running, pre-running roads, pre-running trails. What uh, would you tell her and why? I would tell her, don't worry about being too much.
0: I I thought about the answer to this question too, but my life, I've always been that person who is just, um, (laughs) I don't really have a governor on me. I, I do, too much of everything. I talk too much. I run too much. I work too much. I think too much. I sometimes eat too much, which is why I run too much. (laughs) Um, I'm just one of those people that I'm just go, 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 go. And I'm quite passionate. And when I take on a project, I just put my, I throw myself completely into that project, which can be a good thing. But you know, when, when you're young and you're a teenager and you're, beginning life, um, sometimes that's criticized. And I found over the last decade or two, I often squashed that and thought, you know what, uh, good girls don't do this. Good moms mm. don't do that. Good wives don't do this. Good business owners don't do that. Good physios, make sure they do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, in this last couple of years, I've, uh, kind of said to hell with all of that yeah. if I want to run far I'm gonna run far if I want to live big I'm gonna live big mm-hmm. if I want to set huge crazy audacious goals I'm gonna do it yeah and uh yeah I I would tell my 18 year old self to just stop worrying about what everyone else things and just be yourself
1: yeah And I think there's so much in there, like there's so much messaging that we get from everywhere, right? Telling us that like, ooh, you're doing it too much, too much, too much. And we listen to it because at the time that that's instilled in us, often we don't have the the tools to question it and, and challenge it, right? So we just abide and then, you know, we feel like something's not right. Like something wants to come out, you know, that isn't being expressed and it sounds like running has really been that vehicle for your own personal growth too. Would you agree with that?
0: Oh, 100%, 200%. -hmm. You know, running, I grew up running. I, I say I became an adult running on trails and running has taught me a lot for sure. And there's still so much to learn. That's the thing. You know, I, I see myself running ultras for a long time and I'm going to be living for a long time. And, and, you know, every time I run an ultra, I'm competing with myself and I'm competing against myself and I'm different (laughs) every single time. And I discover new things about myself every single time. And I think that's one of the greatest things about these races and these runs is is that discovery process, and the evolution, and just the curiosity at going, who am I going to be next time? What am I going to learn about myself next time? What am I going to explore next time, not just in my external environment, but inside, deep inside my own head? And I think the fear of that is what maybe keeps a lot of people from opening up. But once you do and discover that, wow, like I'm awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love diving into my own head. I love going deep into those places. I love running for an hour and coming up to a landmark and going, oh my God, like I, how did I even get here? I don't even remember the last hour because I was so deep into my own head. Um, I, I, when I was younger, I would close off, I would block out, I would go, you know what, I don't want to go in those places. You know, if there's some unpleasantness, let's just push it away. Let's push it back. Let's push it down. Let's just keep going. Well, now as I've matured and become a more, um, I would say self-aware person and runner, um, I've turned from blocking out into accepting, and moving towards those parts of me mm-hmm. and almost with excitement because it's every time I do I I just open more doors mm-hmm. to and and uh discover new things about myself and and things I can do and things I want to do and places I want to see and 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 oh I could just go on forever but well it sounds like talking there no it's
1: it just (laughs) it's it's awesome like it sounds like running has allowed you to become more and more you unapologetically which is honestly that's a big part of my mission it's like the world needs more people that are unapologetically themselves and whatever way you arrive at that there can be a infinite number of ways that we can pursue that path but I think it's a path worth pursuing and honestly just listening to you I can hear I can feel the passion that you have for for running and and life and and your life it's just amazing to to witness and and you know for the listeners here it's so funny too because Kim and I've actually we live in the same city and we've never run together yet and we have got to change that girl <laughs> we do absolutely we
0: joke that I won't be able to keep up with Carolyn that she won't be able to go long enough to yes. run with me but maybe we'll be able to find
1: something in the middle. Oh, there's got to be a crossover point there's got to be a happy medium in there somewhere oh my goodness okay yeah. so just wrapping up here so you You're in healthcare, you're a physiotherapist, and I am so curious to ask you this question. If you had $100 million, let's say, let's go even bigger, let's say $100 billion, like you have like so much money that you could spend on healthcare and zero red tape, how would you spend it and why? Okay, you know what I
0: would do? I would pay the doctors to keep people healthy. I love it. I wouldn't in- tell me I more. Would <laughs> I would incentivize them, bonus them for doing fewer blood or not necessarily doing fewer blood tests, but needing to do less fixing sickness. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that would happen. But right now, I mean, I work in the medical system and you make money when somebody, you know, I joke with my patients, I go, you know, Keep not doing your exercises and you're going to put my kids to university. You can keep coming to me. (laughs) (laughs) You keep paying me to fix you or you could go home and get better and do your exercises. Right. And so if we could like, instead of paying the doctors for prescribing and for ordering tests and for, you know, doing all these things, if we could somehow incentivize healthcare providers for um, people not needing to use their services, that would be. Brilliant. Ooh.
1: I think you're onto something here. We need to explore this further. (laughs) Maybe another podcast. I agree with you. (laughs) Like, they get paid to spend, you know, a few extra minutes. Like, what do you mean by a healthy diet? Like, oh, put the sleep on the prescription pad. You know? Like, I... Yeah, here's my order. I want you to go to sleep at 10 o'clock tonight, (laughs) you know? uh,
0: Well, you know, it's kind of like in the States, they have these preferred provider organizations, right? Where you you have your health insurance. So you get lower premiums if you don't have lower claims. Well, how about bonusing, you know, the doctors for people who have blood tests in in normal range rather than people who have blood tests in high range that need metformin, right? So... Yeah, yeah. I, I think the,
1: there's, there's something there though, for sure. Like the incentives need to change so that there is the incentive to, to do the preventative work, right? Right. Yeah.
0: Now, I'm not saying doctors are the problem. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that they're purposefully trying to keep people sick to make money. That's not what I'm no, saying. No, I, I totally but, know what you mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is time for our rapid fire questions. We have a few questions we ask at the end of every podcast. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. What is your favorite mantra? My
0: favorite mantra? I have about a billion of them. So this was a hard question, but I'm going to have to go with get comfortable with being uncomfortable.
1: Love it. What is your
0: favorite place to run? I'm going to have to, again, go with Comox. uh, And it would be the Comox Bluffs, particularly Tomato Creek.
1: What runs are on your bucket list?
0: My biggest barrel of a bucket for a run right now is uh, CCC at UTMB. I was supposed to go there uh, next year. I was guaranteed in because uh, I missed out on the lottery twice. Now it's looking like it will be 2022 before I get there, but I will get there. And what is CCC? (laughs) It is the 100K uh, event in the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc um, Trail Festival. (laughs) So living in Manitoba, I figured it would probably be wise not to go over there, try for 100 miles in the Alps right off the bat. So I'm going for the 100K version. And I'm going to butcher this. I think CCC stands for Chamonix, Champagne, and no, it starts in Colmoyer, goes through Champagne, Switzerland, and ends in Chamonix. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Favorite running book? There, I would have to say Eat Run by Eat and Run by Scott Jurek. Uh, It was the second ultra running book I've ever read after Born to Run. Uh, And I've probably read it three times. And as a physiotherapist and one of the greatest ultra runners of all time, Scott Jurek has definitely been
1: quite an inspiration. And you had a bunch of his recipes on your blog, if I do recall.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, uh, (laughs) he has some some good ones. So it's a running memoir and a cookbook at the same time. So I tend to listen to all of my books in audio format while I run, but his is one book that I actually bought. So I could have a
1: physical copy for the recipes. Well, and this might lead into the next question, which is what is your favorite post run indulgence?
0: So there it's nothing I cook nothing I have to do anything other than open a can and I am not a beer drinker but I definitely like my cider my lone tree cider from uh, Vancouver and so after a a long hot run in the summer that is the best thing Mm.
1: oh my goodness I feel like we could talk all day I know there'll be so much more of you know your story that comes out in in future episodes when we chat with other people but just before I let you go is there anything I haven't asked you yet that you feel is relevant for people to know about you Oh, I think I've
0: talked more than enough about myself for today.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry if that made you feel uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) No, not at all. And like you said, I'm sure there'll be things that come out as we start to interview more guests and learn more about each other and more about our guests, but. That's a good start. Our our listeners now know a little bit about what makes me tick. Yeah.
1: Well, and I always say every runner has a story, like whether you are back of the pack or winning everything, like I want to know everyone's story. And it's like part of the the reason that we're starting this podcast is because just listening to your story, even though it, it doesn't completely mirror my own, I can find so many threads in there that are similar. And I just I can't wait for people to hear your story and to, and to interview all of the wonderful guests that we're going to have on this podcast. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Where can people find you by the way, you're a coach yourself and you have a website and a blog, don't you?
0: I do. Um, my website is www.bouncestrong.com. So my coaching business is bounce or bounce strong. Um, there's a lot of meaning in those two words, both in running and in life. And my blog, everything links from there. My Instagram, Twitter, although I'm really not on Twitter, and my blog are on there. Okay. And so what is your handle on Instagram? Oh, my handle is, good question, flyingphalanges1. So Flying Phalanges One. So F L Y I N G. Uh, phalanges like your fingers and your toes p-h-a-l-a-n-g-e-s one the digit one is my handle on Instagram
1: all right so go and check out Kim on social and check out her blog I actually I have to admit I went down the rabbit hole with your blog and I read I think you've got stuff on there from 2014 on and it's great and I just sort of went through the evolution of all your races it was quite and there's some really really amazing content on there so I encourage people to go check that out so thank you so much for uh for taking the time and more from Kim As we go along. All right. Thanks, Carolyn,
0: for having me. And (laughs) thanks for having me. This is our podcast. But thanks. Thanks for giving me a chance to tell my story.